It's only a matter of time. Justice is coming. Almost one year ago, on the afternoon of January 6th, 2021, hundreds of protesters gathered in Washington, D.C. and stormed the U.S. Capitol building. Nearly a year on, the details of what happened on that day are still, for some, up for debate. The Democrats consider what happened on January the 6th to be an attempted coup. These were rioters and insurrectionists, goons and thugs, domestic terrorists. On the right, there is an argument that the people who participated in this riot and who were arrested are the real victims. Some of the Republicans consider the people involved in this to be patriots. Martin Wall is our new Washington correspondent for the Irish Times. He's taken on this role at a time when political divisions across the US remain critically high. As we come up to a year after the events, whatever unity there may have appeared on the evening of January the 6th or the early morning of the 7th, when politicians of all sides seem to blame Trump, that has faded away. Uh, Trump and I, we've had a hell of a journey. I hate it being this way. Oh my God, I hate it. All I can say is uh, count me out. Enough is enough. There seemed to be a suggestion at the time that maybe the spell that Donald Trump held over the Republican Party was about to break. That Trump and Trumpism would be banished to the sidelines of political discourse in America. On foot of that, a year later, that hasn't happened. A year later, his sway over the Republican Party is as, as strong, if not stronger than ever. And within some Democrats, there is a view that what they perceive or may maintain was an attempted coup d'etat in last January could be uh, replicated in three years' time when it comes to the next election. I'm Sarah Pollock, and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, why the US Capitol riot wasn't the turning point in American politics that many hoped it would be. Martin, we know that former US President Donald Trump played an important role in riling up the crowds that gathered outside Capitol Hill and subsequently broke into that building last year on January 6th, 2021. Can you remind us, how did Trump do that? He had been tweeting, of course, and he actually spoke directly to that crowd on January 6th. But what was he saying to them? Literally, even before the election took place, Trump was telling his supporters that the only way he could lose is if the poll was rigged. And on the night of the election, he was suggesting that uh, the poll was fraudulent or there were irregularities. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. Trump's allegations of fraud and his supporters' allegations of fraud went to various courts up and down key battleground states, all of which were thrown out by the courts. Uh, there was no evidence of fraud, no evidence of widespread fraud, no evidence of irregularities that could be anyway meaningfully change the uh, outcome of the election. Another Trump lawsuit, this one in Pennsylvania, thrown out by a federal judge who compared their arguments to Frankenstein's monster. But then enter 
into the equation a number of lawyers, kind of right-wing lawyers, who came up with this theory that even though Joe Biden had won sufficient support in the election to secure the presidency, that there was a mechanism that could be used for where Trump could still stay in power. That plan that Trump's lawyers created involved subverting the US's strange voting system, the Electoral College. In the Electoral College system, each state nominates a number of individual people, they're called electors, to transmit the democratic decision of the state that they represent to Congress. Then in Congress, the votes of the electors are counted in a process that is overseen by the vice president. And that was set to happen on January 6th. The right-wing lawyer's argument was was that the vice president had another implicit role that would have allowed him, where there was allegations of fraud, to essentially reject those groups of electors who came from states where there was allegations of irregularities, send them back to the legislators of that particular state. Many of those states were controlled by Republicans. They, according to this theory, could actually send alternative electors back to Washington who theoretically would vote for Trump. That would actually nullify Joe Biden's election and allow Trump to stay in power. And I hope Mike Pence comes through for us, I have to tell you. I hope that our great vice president, our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much. Now, Mike is a great guy. He's a- that was the political argument. That was the political backdrop to what actually happened. Trump was suggesting to his supporters that the vice president could still swing the election his way. And he encouraged his supporters to convene in Washington. And he said in a tweet, be there, it will be wild. And it did get wild. I mean, we all saw those pictures and those videos. But remind us, Martin, what happened that day and and how did it all play out? So on the day, the 6th of January, thousands and thousands of supporters arrived in Washington on the mall. We know that there was voter fraud. We absolutely know it. And that's why we're here, to stop the steal. Trump held a rally, basically again told them that they needed to stand and fight, that the election had been stolen from them, and that they basically should march on the Capitol. We're going to walk down, anyone you want, but I think right here we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And they duly did. Trump told them that he would march with them. We're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. He didn't. He went back to the White House and watched proceedings unfold on TV. What happened then? I think, you know, millions of people in Ireland and around the world saw what happened on the day. While Trump was still speaking, uh, there were already skirmishes between protesters and police. As Trump then said, we walked to the White House, a large body of the thousands of people who were there on the day followed down the mall. There were barriers at the entrances and basically they were pushed over. We have learned now that the, as you can see, the protesters have uh, breached the Capitol. They're inside. Niels, do we know how it is that they were able to get inside the Capitol? It appears that the sheer number of protesters just overwhelmed uh, whatever capacity that the the Capitol Police had uh, to keep people away, and they did not manage to get the doors secured. uh, Interestingly enough, we bear in mind that every police officer in America, by and large, is armed. If you watch the videos, um, watch interviews with the senior police commanders at the time, the view was that if they had have opened fire, there would have been a bloodbath and there would have been a lot more people killed. Having got through the windows, 
into the building, they opened the main doors or some of the main doors. And that's where the large body of the, the protesters filed through and then fanned out around the capital. Can we talk for a second about these people who were invading the capital? Who were they and, and what did they want to achieve? There was a disparate group of people. There were right-wing nationalists. There were some white supremacists. There were people who were just Trump followers. Some may have been caught up in the events that's, you know, of the day, the, the excitement, whatever it may be. There were others would appear to have been more uh, sinister plans afoot. There were people who went through the halls chanting that they were looking for Mike Pence. Just before the proceedings in the Congress commenced on that day, Pence had issued a statement to say basically he wasn't intervening, he wasn't entertaining this legal theory that he could interfere and send back electors and hand the election to Trump, essentially. So at that point, Trump tweeted that Pence had not come through for them, essentially. At that point, there had people in the halls of Congress chanting, hang Mike Pence. Outside in the surrounds, there was a makeshift gallows. Now, whether that would ever have been used or what it was, whether it was just a symbolic piece, but the image of people with a gallows is one of the enduring images of the day. Madam Speaker, we have a solemn responsibility today. We must vote to sustain objections to states of electors submitted by states that we genuinely believe clearly violated the Constitution and the presidential election of 2020. At that point, the two houses of Congress were holding joint sessions. Some Republican politicians had objected to the votes for particular states. So then under the law, the two chambers debate these objections in parallel. And that was going on at the time when these protesters came fanning through the hall. You spoke to Jim McGovern, who is the chair of the House Rules Committee, and he stepped into the Speaker of the House, uh, Representative Nancy Pelosi's seat as these people started storming the Capitol. How did McGovern describe what was happening inside the building as these people descended? Nancy Pelosi was sitting in the ceremonial seat of the House Representative, starting to proceed to, to deal with these objections up to the electors. And her security detail obviously said to her, you, you have to leave. As she left, she called on this man, Jim McGovern, who's a congressman from uh, Massachusetts and chair of the House Rules Committee. He's a very senior politician in the Democrats on the Democratic side of, of Congress to basically stand in for her. She said, I'll be back in a minute. Just sit down, just take the seat. And he noticed that she had left her phone behind. So she obviously wasn't thinking that she was going to be gone for several hours. He heard shouting. He thought there was a few people may have got in and were shouting and the echoes of the noise was ringing around the hall. That's really all it was. And he said that he got a, a message from his daughter while he was sitting in the chair and said, you need to get out of there. Why are you there? He was told then to adjourn the house. They were escorted away. He was the, one of the last people to leave. And as he disappeared around the corridor, uh, shots rang out. A pro-Trump supporter, a woman named Ashley Babbitt, who's a former Air Force veteran, had tried to clamber through the broken glass and was shot dead by the police. McGovern maintains that at that point, the the protesters at that window or at that door dispersed. And he asked what would have happened if they had managed to break through that perimeter and get hold of some politicians who were um, still being escorted from the chamber. At that point, they were within striking distance, so to speak. So the politicians were then taken to a secure location where they had to stay for several hours. And the protesters at that point essentially had the run of the place, the run of the building. It was only a couple of hours later that other police forces from other the sur surrounding parts of whether it be Washington, 
metropolitan area or from nearby Virginia or from Maryland arrived on the scene. And by force of numbers, they actually began to push the protesters out of the building and clear the building. But as you've said, for a couple of hours, the protesters had almost total control of the Capitol. They were chanting about hanging the vice president, Mike Pence. They endangered the safety of some of the most senior politicians in the United States. They they fought with and, and injured police. What happened on that day, it seems indefensible. And yet some have and still are defending it. What justification has been given? The perspective is is that these were protesters who were exercising their right to free speech, that on any other day of the week, they would have been able to have no difficulty to wander around that the, the, Congre- the Capitol Hill is a public building and had rights to kind of exercise freedom of movement around it. And in essence, the view that's growing on the right in America is is that the people who are protesting on the day, particularly those that were caught up in the protest, that they were described as patriots. Some describe them as tourists, which is an interesting uh, view. And that basically they have been treated uh, very badly. In fact, Trump himself has said in recent months that they've been treated very unfairly. They cl- the, Their supporters claim that there are people who have been held in prison awaiting trial in some cases without a date for a trial for nearly a year and they draw parallels they say that there were people who tried to interrupt for example the approval by congress uh, by the senate of some of trump's uh, supreme court nominees particularly brett kavanaugh and those people got essentially a slap on the wrist they got a 50 dollar fine and they basically came back into the same the next day and the people on the right maintain that there is a complete disparity between the treatment of the people who protested in the Capitol and the people who protested at the Kavanaugh hearings. The issue is where we've we've come to is is that rather than being a turning point in American history, where we've seen in the past with turning points with, you know, the start of the Civil War, the New Deal by Roosevelt, the the bombing of Pearl Harbor that brought America into the Second World War, they were turning points in American history. Rather than being a turning point in American history, what happened on January 6th is just become another talking point rather than a turning point. And it's just another another issue of disagreement between the right and the left in American politics. Coming up, what's happened since January 6th and what comes next? In the weeks that followed the storming of the Capitol, the fallout from the events of January 6th included an attempt by Congress to impeach Trump for a second time. And this time to succeed in convicting him on a charge of incitement to insurrection. Can you briefly remind us, how did that push to impeach Trump go? So basically, he was impeached for a second time by the House of Representatives and acquitted for a second time by the Senate. If he had been convicted by the Senate, he would never have been able to run for federal office again. The importance of the fact that he wasn't convicted is that if he wishes, he is free to run for the Republican nomination in two thousand for 2024 election. And if he got the nomination, he would be the Republican candidate in the election of 2024 and potentially be president once again for another term from January 2025. A committee set up by Democrat Nancy Pelosi has been investigating the events of January 6th and its report is expected later this year. But some details have already come out, including revelations about the role of TV news presenters in the events of that day, such as messages between Fox News hosts and Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, on January 6th. Martin, what do we know about what those messages said? They were 
extraordinary that it showed or gave evidence of something that many people probably have suspected for a long time, that Fox News or some presenters on Fox News were basically not just cheerleaders, media cheerleaders of Donald Trump, but they were actively advising him, actively working hand in glove with the Trump White House, with the administration. And what you saw on the what came out as part of the this congressional investigation into what happened on January 6th was a number of um, text messages were sent to the then chief of staff of Donald Trump, a man called Mark Meadows, where basically they were basically saying, this has gone way too far. Trump needs to get out there. He needs to get, make a speech. He needs to stop this, that his whole legacy is going to be undermined as a result of this. But so basically what it showed was that they were presenters on Fox News, which is a really, really big and very important media outlet in America, where, you know, the largest cable news channel, best, biggest viewership, they were actually working, would appear to be working as unpaid advisors to the Trump administration on how to deal with essentially strategy. Other texts that came out were from politicians on Capitol Hill, Republican politicians on Capitol Hill, basically suggesting that the legal theory prepared by some of Trump's right-wing lawyers that Pence could actually intervene in the process and stop the election and basically have the election turned for on behalf of Trump, that they supported that theory. The select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol will be in order. What we're getting with this investigation by Congress, there are particular members of Congress are putting pieces of information out into the public domain. We have to wait and see what the full report will be when it comes, and I presume it'll come in the near future, or in the early part of next year, because what the congressional investigators want is they want to have this whole process wrapped up. The fear is that if it comes to next autumn, if the Republicans take back control of the US House of Representatives, they will shut down this inquiry. And on that, I mean, what about the Republican Party? Do most of them still condemn what happened in January 2021 or have their views changed? That view has changed. The the view, the Democrats' view of this being a coup and an insurrection certainly hasn't changed. In fact, it's continued. But the, the view of the Republicans of this has, has changed. There are some Republicans like Liz Cheney that the future of the Republican Party has to be without Trump. There are others like prominent senators like Lindsey Graham who argue that the future of the Republican Party, that for the party to survive, it has to have Trump. That Trump's hold on the the supporters are so is so strong that if they alienate Trump or threw out Trump or got rid of Trump, that the those supporters wouldn't vote or they would vote for somebody else or wouldn't turn up at all, and that the Republican Party itself would be so badly damaged that the better part of the bargain is to keep in with Trump for the time being. So that's so basically the Republicans have come back around on board to Trump. But Trump, as I said, Trump's hold on the Republican Party is stronger than ever. Jim McGovern, the congressman you spoke with, he told you that he still meets people who believe the Capitol assault was a hoax. What does that say about the state of America today and the divisions and lack of trust that exist in that country? America is completely and totally split politically. There are a hardcore of Trump supporters. There's a hardcore of anti-Trump people, Democrats. There's a group in the middle who will push the elections in the future one way or the other, a middle ground. But Trump has supporters who believe every single thing he says. And the the, the interview with the Irish Times, Jim McGovern maintains, he said he was, he was approached by a man in a supermarket 
in the frozen food section of a supermarket who said to a man, that was terrible what happened on January the 6th. And what governs you was, he thought this was sympathetic. He was, it was, yes, it was terrible. And he said to him, this man said to him, he said, no, 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 no. He said, I know what really happened. And uh, this was filmed on a film set. You know, this is like the kind of the conspiracy theory about the moon landings or whatever that, you know, didn't really happen. It was filmed somewhere else. And I said, if you look very closely, you can see this isn't really, doesn't happen. And McGovern said he got very annoyed about it and said, look, I was there. You know, I, I saw this actually happening, physically present. He said, no, 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 it was filmed on a film set. You can, you can see it. On the other side of the divide, the Democrats maintain this was an attempted coup. It was an insurrection to try to thwart a, a, the duly elected president taking power. Their fear is what Trump is up to at the moment. The Trump coup was thwarted because there were Republican leaders in particular states who insisted that the vote was fair. And in some of those cases, the view now from Democrats is that Trump is seeking to try have those people removed. And it's not just a revenge issue, a revenge tour that he's doing to try to get people who tried to, uh, who, who he's unhappy with, but that he's, what the real aim is, is to put in place people who, if a similar situation arises in 2024, would have no qualms about finding votes. You know, we recall the, the, the famous tape that Trump phoned the, um, the Secretary of State in, 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 in Georgia and said, I need to find 11,000, I need you to find me 11,000 votes. That the fear or the suspicion would be is that what Trump wants is to have people in power in 2024, in particular key states, who will have no qualms about finding those votes that may be needed. To reach an agreement on how this will be dealt with or January 6th will be dealt with, you need to have a consensus of what actually happened. And there is no consensus to what actually, actually happened. So that's the fear and that's what's polarising or leading to the increased polarisation within America. Some people hoped, I'm sure, that January 6th would be the beginning of the end of the toxic polarisation of American politics. But polls show that one in three Americans believe the lie that the 2020 election was stolen. So what do you think will be the lasting legacy of the January 6th storming of the Capitol building? As we speak, there may be consequences from it that we don't know at this point. There could theoretically be criminal proceedings being taken against people who are politicians, for example. And that may have implications in its own way that we don't know at this point. So if that, if that did happen, there would be a big issue there in relation to that. In relation to outside of that, the fear will be is that it will just be another marker on the road to the divisions within the United States. Because far from healing the divisions, the divisions over the last 12 months have got worse. You know, politics can be an uncivil game on many occasions, but the level of nastiness and the level of uncivil behaviour, looking at it from the outside and arriving from the outside, is, uh, is shocking to behold. If unchecked, it probably will get worse. And particularly as we come to a, we're entering another election year, if the Republicans take back the House of Representatives, where does that leave you? There has been suggestions by some people that the Republicans could nominate Trump as the Speaker of the House of Representatives, which would be a remarkable position if that did happen. You know, the suggestions then, if they control the House of Representatives, would they seek to impeach Biden? Would they find some excuse or some issue to launch impeachment proceedings against Joe Biden? So the divisions, the polarisation in the United States has got worse since January, is continuing to get worse. And where it leads to, unfortunately, we'll have to just wait and see where that goes over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. That's all for today. Our thanks to Washington correspondent Martin Wall. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back on Friday.